Well, good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We are disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. My name's Aaron, and I'm glad that you are here today as we continue our series on identity. And uh, this morning, we get to uh, continue our series. We started a couple weeks ago on this, and uh, we began talking about uh, who we truly are, and we are who God says we are. As Christians, that's really where it begins. And then next to discover that uh, good is what God truly says is good, not what people think is good or what I might think is good, but what God says is good. And those two really become the foundation for pretty much everything else in, and uh, what we're going to be talking about these next few weeks. As we're going to be talking about today, about uh, gender, which I know is a little bit of a, a, a spicy topic in our culture. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, after we talk about gender, the two institutions that God created out of all the, the institutions we could have, God created uh, family and, and church. And so we'll talk about how does that, uh, how do we operate within those. So hope this has been a good series thus far. Uh, really, this is a series that are for believers. So if you're uh, not a follower of Christ yet, we're so glad that you are here. We hope you feel welcomed and uh, we're actually thrilled that you're here. Um, but I want you to take this opportunity then to feel like you're kind of peering behind the curtain. What do Christians believe? What, is it, what does it mean to be in Christ, this community of following Jesus? If you are a follower of Jesus, this is an opportunity to really kind of step beyond what the, the culture tells us how we ought to live and, rem and step into the way that God says. This is how we are to operate. This is how we're to live. So moving beyond the kind of the politically correct into the biblically correct. Uh, living the Christian lifestyle, and that's where we're at. So today we're going to be talking about about gender, and uh, the reason we need to do this is I, the uh, everything we talk about today wouldn't have been even remotely controversial five years ago, ten years ago, uh, but today there seems to be a lot of tension and things around that, and that doesn't have to do with the truth itself. It has to do with the culture kind of swarming around this, and I think there's a lot of things in this culture that are being taught that are very, very damaging. Uh, for people. In fact, the sexual revolution, when it came out, has caused a lot of damage to society and to culture. Uh, we see how many families have been torn apart, how much misery there is now even in the home, how much confusion there is as to who's supposed to do what and when and where in our society. It's caused a lot of problems. And so uh, we even find today that uh, how it's, it's this uh, confusion is even going to the, the very core of some people. Uh, wondering who am I at all, and wondering uh, not just confusion about my place in the world, but even uh, some very core things as to am I a man, I'm a woman, or am I something else, and what does that even mean? Do you know that the Bible has answers to these things that are, like, while the rest of the world does not need to follow these things, they do not follow Christ, for those of us who are in Christ, we have an amazing benefit that the Word of God gives us not only an identity, but a direction and a help which is a beautiful thing. Oftentimes our culture began years ago asking, am I defined by my body parts? And then it started in denial of those body parts, saying, no, I can't be by that. So now we're at a point to say, am I defined by my feelings? And there is a tension in a war that's causing all kinds of problems. And this morning we're going to talk about really what defines us. And even to the point of gender, what gender is, and, and why gender is important. And then finally we're going to talk about then how do we find our identity in who God made us to be? Before we do that, however, 
Uh, you all look very somber this morning. Let's get God's word. This will cheer you up. Uh, Galatians 2.20. It's our memory verse for this series. It's how we begin this, this whole series. We're setting this, this verse into our heart and mind. It sets kind of the core, the foundational uh, cornerstone for where we're going to be going. And it says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that a powerful passage? That we're not defined just by me anymore. When we come to Christ, we die to that old dead way. And we get to live a whole new person, a whole new life in Christ by faith. That he gave himself for us. What an amazing passage. You know, if, if you are, I haven't had a chance to uh, set that to your heart and to your soul yet, I encourage you on our connection card, you'll see that there's a memory verse card right on the end. It's perforated. You know, I encourage you to tear that off. Put it in your pocket, your wallet, take it with you. Spend some time with it this week as you uh, remind yourself of the truth of God's Word. And uh, we'll talk about one of the ways that it applies today. So how we're going to do that, I ask you to join me in Genesis chapter 1. That's going to be on page 1 in your Bible, so super easy to find that. And that's really on page 1 in most Bibles. Um, if it's not, you probably should check your Bible. Uh, if you forgot your Bible today, we've got plenty of them in the back by the sound booth. You're welcome to use one of ours. And if you need a Bible, please keep it. It will be our gift to you. Now, as you turn into Genesis 1, just a little background on it is the very first book, obviously, in the Old Covenant. It uh, talks about the very beginning of our origins, how God created us. Chapters 1 and 2 are the creation story. There's not two different stories that some people wrongly believe. It is actually chapter 1. It's kind of an overview. It talks about how God made pretty much everything in general. Chapter 2 focuses more. It's a little more detailed view on how God basically created us as people. And so there's a little more detail into that. And so this is where we are going to be today. And as we go through, if we look in this origin, kind of the beginnings of how we were designed and created, uh, we're going to learn three basic things about gender. And the first thing we're going to discover about gender is this, is that my sexual identity is from God. Right? We're going to begin with this. Remember last week, two weeks ago, we talked about I am who God says I am. And part of who God made me is how he designed me. That's, that's this body. God made us from the ground, we discover. We're part of this earth, but that's not all of us. He breathed his spirit into us. We're this beautiful amalgam of the two. But part of what God made me is this physical body. And that's from him. It's part of his design for me. He didn't just design my spirit. He designed me. I think that's kind of cool. And so we have to start there saying, I am who God says I am, and that includes my body, who I am here. And therefore, I am not defined by culture, who culture says I am, because culture has some pretty messed up ideas about gender and masculinity and femininity and all of that. But, but I am who God says I am, and I'm not who I say I am. I'm not defined by my feelings, even. I'm not who Aaron says Aaron is. I am truly at the very core who God says I am. So my sexual identity is from God. And so to help us understand a text that'll help you, I like tools, okay? And so I, I brought some of my favorite tools for you to show you today. And this one here is, is uh, this is a Milwaukee whole hog. Isn't this a beautiful, it's a half horsepower 
device designed to just rip holes through you know, two by fours and anything else you want a hole in. And it, I mean, it'll go. And it, it'll actually take you off a ladder if you're not careful. It's got a lot of power, and it's a beautiful, wonderful tool. And it's hefty, and I love it, right? So this is amazing tool. But I have another tool I want to show you, which I, I like a little less, but is very, very helpful and is also very, very powerful. And that is this. This is a dental drill. Okay, and this also has an enormous amount of power. It can bring uh, the strongest people to their knees if you want to, um, right? It has a crazy fast RPM on it, and it's made, I mean, it can do the most insane little detail work that you'll ever imagine. Like, it can make your, your teeth, fake teeth, look real. It like, it's like an artist's paintbrush for your, for your face. Uh, an amazing little tool. Now, they are both drills. So we would say like both of these are very much drills, but they're different. Will we say that they're probably different? Now, one of these is stronger than the other. Will we agree that this one probably has a little more power, right? And one of them is much, much more uh, finesse, right? Has a little more ability to kind of finesse stuff. And the design from these oftentimes is then displayed in how they're used. Like if, if you called an electrician over to your home and he showed up with one of these and he's going to drill out your house with one of these you'd think the guy's a nut it could do it it could do the job but it would take a long time right for starters it doesn't even use the right kind of power this this right here is powered by 120 volts of alternating current electricity at 30 amps this is a ball right this takes 20 pounds of, of compressed air to operate that they just they even power differently. But just say you could power this, you could drill out your house in this, but it would take a very long time and probably do a little damage to the tool, right? And if you went to the dentist, you said, I got a toothache, and he came out with this. Oh, it'd drill your tooth out all right, right? But we live in a society sometimes that we've been told it's wrong to say there's a difference. That No, they're both drills. All drills are the same. And they would tell you the only reason that you find these used by construction guys and the only reason that wherever in the world you go, it was society that decided somehow they found this drill and said, we're going to use this as a dentist drill and we're going to use this one for construction. But really, that's just society telling us what society wants to believe. It's not because they're designed different. The reason they're used different is because society's decided that's what they should be. So the best thing we can do is to say, no, 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 they're the same. They're both drills. They're going to do the exact same thing. That is ludicrous. If I started using this for dental work, and I started using this for construction, there'd be a lot of pain and suffering, wouldn't there? And that is what we found in our homes and people's lives and society. You know that sometimes the difference in design tells us there's a different function that was intended by the designer. And I want to read you something that talks to us from the very beginning of God's Word. In Genesis chapter 1, verse uh, 27, at the very beginning of our creation, it says, So God created mankind in his own image, equal, both important. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, this tells us, as in God's word, that there are two genders that are different. He didn't just say he created them. He said he created them, but there was a way that he created them. Male and female are both aspects of his image. 
They're both part of his design, both equal in importance, but there's something different about them. Male is not female. Female is not male. And that's important for us to really grasp. In fact, we live in a society that says there's not just male and female. There's like 27 or 32 or something. I can't remember. I've lost count of the alphabet soup. But I will tell you this, that in God's word, there are two. And for all of us in Christ, that's a very freeing thing. Because a lot of people, even in Christ, that really struggle with where is my identity because society has told us all kinds of crazy things. And the, wor- the amazing thing in God's word is he says, I have made you. And, and your design has a purpose. And as far as humans go, we come in two varieties. Masculine, feminine. Male and female. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? That God gives us that. And yes, the, the, the genders themselves are equal and they're wonderful but different, but also this, that, that those genders that we talk about are correlated to our biological sex. I know, it's shocking, but in God's word, there's no place that I ever find in here that God said biological sex. It's not there. I defy you. Find somewhere in God's word or where you have a masculine trait that's then supposed to be or or position that's supposed to be filled by someone who's a woman or a feminine trait or something like that's supposed to be uh, that is described for a man it's not in there when god created us male and female there was an alignment between our sex and gender that's a false divide that was created in the 60s it didn't exist before where you had this idea that gender was discorrelated from sex did not exist in the human thought in any continent in any culture until the 1960s It was something that people created, saying that this is a dental drill only because society says it should be used for dental work. But up until then, everybody's accepted the fact that if it's a dental drill, it's probably going to be used for dental work. Its design gave it its function. Same thing for masculine femininity. There's a core within it that we say that who we are, my my biological (laughs) design matches my gender. And there's a correlation there. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't people who struggle with this and even in the body of Christ. But remember, who I was, right? I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. There is an aspect of the Christian who we step away from the culture and says, I'm not who I say I am. I'm not who culture says I am. But I am who God says I am. And I can look at who God made me and know his intention for me. And I can die, which means that for some of us, that really is a difficult thing. There's a, there's a confusion that I have to put to rest. And I have to say, God, by faith, I'm going to trust that you made me who I am. And so there's a lot of compassion in the body of Christ for those who struggle with these issues. A lot of compassion. And one of those compassionate things that we can do in the body of Christ is we can give help and direction. Where we can say, no, there's a purpose for you. God did not make a mistake when he made you. There is a design for you. And it's readily available. And the word of God can help us all live within those. How he made us. And to say this too, that in the body of Christ, we recognize, we throw away this false idea that came about in the 60s and 70s and 80s that there is no difference between men and women, that we are the same. Lots of science to back that up, but we don't need that in anymore. I mean, it's common sense. Men and women are different. 
we are. And that's not just okay, it's to be celebrated. It's a great thing. Aren't you glad that did to drill out your face? Right? That's a good thing. We celebrate that. That's wonderful. And our God made us different. And those differences between male and female are not something that we should ignore. It's something that even in the body of Christ, we recognize there is a creator, a designer, and his brilliance in his design. It is up to us to praise him and to be able to, to celebrate the differences that he made between us. To say that, you know what, how we are designed, not as in to show us how he made us, but it shows how we are to complement one another. There's a, something very special about being a man. And there's something very special about being a woman. Right? And, and the here in the body of Christ, in the family of faith, where we recognize and acknowledge and honor the designer, there's going to be a place that we can celebrate this and for us find real purpose and real joy in how God made us and, so, and give him glory from it. Now, something we can find then in that is not just that my design is from God, but there are, here's the difference in design. Men are masculine. Really, masculine just means has traits of, of manhood. <laughs> to be like a man. And we say, what does masculine mean? Because our society has it all wrong. I did, and don't do this because it will lead you to a lousy site. I did this, uh, and I was preparing for this a few months ago. I said, uh, and, and I typed into Google, right, masculine development what does it mean to be a man i just wanted to see what the world had to say and it brought up the very first hit was this website which was really 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 bad and, and what it had in there is you turn it on and they had bad pictures on the side of it and it was some guy who came up with this and he had four pillars of what he said was masculinity or manhood and the very first one is to be sexually active with as many women as possible Right? The next one is to be just have lots of money. doesn't matter how you get it. Just have lots and lots of money. That's masculine, apparently. Next one is to be ripped. Right? Just to be, be like a gorilla. Just super tough. Right? He had these, these ideas of masculinity that our culture sometimes looked to. And I was thinking my heart was breaking because there are young men in our culture that have no idea what masculinity means because there is a fatherness epidemic in our culture that there's not enough dads to show young men what manhood is about. And then they go online to see what masculinity is and they get this junk. The Bible has a better solution. It tells us exactly what masculinity is. And it is a powerful, wonderful thing. It is an incredible force that our world needs. There is not enough true masculinity in our culture. And we'll find that. Look at chapter 2 in there as we go into like the, the more uh, detailed view of the design of, of things. And I want you to look. Chapter 2, verse 15 is where we have the beginnings of really uh, our creation in there. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Very first thing we find out that masculinity is, in the, from the garden, from that passage even, is that masculinity is, get this, productive. The very first thing we see God ask man to do is, you have a job, take care of the garden. It is at the very core of a man to be productive. It is part of our DNA. It's who we are. It's part of our very first thing that God told us to do. God didn't first make us and say, hey, Adam, give me a hug. Right? He made Adam, put him in the garden, says, take care of this. Take care of my garden. You have a job to do. Right? And men who have a job, there is something empowering about that, isn't it? 
That's why I think men value success. It's something I think oftentimes women don't really understand. But for a man to have the signs of success, it means something. It means that I have done good work. I am productive. To be able to have a nice suit or a nice car or a nice house or something like that. Something that says, I am productive. I do something. And other men look at that and we respect it. We see this and we say, yes. Why? Because we're productive. And there's something about when you see a man who's lazy, a man who doesn't do something, it's hard as a man for me to respect another guy who is just being lazy. I get it. If some guy goes on vacation, that's, that's great. But hardworking men, they have respect of other men. There's something in us that says we value success, that what you're doing is you're working hard and you're gaining success, and that's great. I think in this, we talk about for masculinity, that we know that it's productive, that that the world, the devil, has tried to twist that, all right? And it's just about the end. It's just, do you have the nice house or the car? They have the wrong idea of what success is. But I think success begins, success is a work ethic, isn't it? Success starts here in the heart. It starts in the soul. It starts when men begin to accept responsibility. See, when, when Adam was made in the garden in perfection, God said to him, take care of my garden, and Adam didn't say, well, I would, this is a beautiful place. It's already nice. Let me just rest it, right? Now you got it, God. You got these angels and stuff like that. No, Adam took responsibility. He took it serious things for men. He said, we have to start by taking responsibility. There's not enough men in our culture, even in our churches, that take responsibility for our space. Right? It is, it is up to us. We are, the, we are the children of God. We are supposed to be the lights of, of the kingdom to this dark community. And men need to take responsibility for that. And men need to take responsibility for the health of their homes. And men need to take responsibility for the care of their employees and their employers. Men need to take responsibility and not say, well, it's somebody else's fault. There's all these other things in the world. Other folks can do it. Now, men at our very core need to start by taking responsibility, not giving excuses. Worldly men offer a lot of excuses. Godly men take responsibility because we are productive at a very core. And when we start taking responsibility, that's where we see the seeds of success. Second thing we find is masculinity is directive. It's at the very core of what it is. Verses 19 and 20. I want you to go down to that. It says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each of the living creatures was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all of the wild animals. Right? God gave the man a job, and he gave him authority to do it. Did God have better names for all of the animals? Perhaps. He's God. But he gave the man authority, and God respected that authority. Right? He said to Adam, go and do this. And Adam didn't, wasn't like, well, I'm not really qualified. I don't have a degree. The university hasn't invited yet. Right? I haven't invented yet. I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a guy, naked in a garden. He didn't say that. Right? Adam was like, all right, you gave me responsibility. And what did he do? He went and named all the stuff. He, he took his responsibility, and then he used it. He was directive. He was able to say, I with authority. This is what you're named. And it says, if the was what it was named, that's what it was named. This is a dog. It's a dog. Right? We have this as men, and our culture sometimes calls it leadership. 
right? Sometimes it, it's, it's directive. It's saying, I'm going to go do something, and I'm going to take, my, I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to use the authority to, to do what I need to do, right? And because of this, because it's part of our DNA, I think that men value competence, Right? It's not just that we're productive, it's that men really value that really doing things well. Like if you're a master electrician or a master mechanic or you know, you're a, a PhD of something, men, we respect that. We want to not just be mediocre. Right? We, we want to be proactive to go and to do something and to do it, we want to do it well. That's why guys have a thousand tools in our tool shop. Right? Yeah, I've got a couple of Phillips head screwdrivers because there's the right one for the job and I'm going to do that job really, really well. There is something about this and we're going to be not just productive in doing things, but I'm going to take my ability and I'm going to be directive in it, right? I'm going to design things. I'm going to create things. That's why I think about so many of the adventures that you have in society, the, the electric grid, right? The, the water systems, all of these things that, that men have put into. They looked at the world and they said, we're not just going to keep it the way that it is. We're going to be productive. But we're also going to be directive. We're going to take responsibility and we're going to make this better. We're going to take some charge and we're going to make things better. Part of us. And we're going to value the competence in it, not to do a shoddy job. It, as I'll tell you, as a man, when I see another guy cutting corners, it's hard to respect him, right? Not just in physical labor, but also things even in relationship and in character. We value excellence. It's part of who we are. That's why the NFL, we have guys that we, like, we look up to. We'd say, wow, that guy's fantastic, right? We, we want to find heroes of competence. That's part of, of who we are. And in this, I will say, men, because of that, knowing this part of our DNA, let me challenge you then to not just accept responsibility, but to reject passivity. Excellence doesn't come to those who wait. Excellence comes to those who work. Right? We have to take this responsibility, but now we have to actually go and to, to do something with our lives. The church oftentimes is too passive. We see the world falling apart, don't we? And we're like, well, it's somebody else's problem. The world needs excellent Christians. That's what we need. The world needs excellent churches. That's what it needs. The world needs excellent ethics and morals. The world needs excellent families. That's what it needs. And it's not going to happen if we sit back. What was said that the only thing for evil men to, to succeed is for good men to do nothing? Well, the only thing for good families to fall apart is for good men to do nothing. The only thing for good societies to fall apart is for good men to do nothing. We need to step up, reject passivity, not push it off and say, oh, the ladies will do it or these other people will do it. No, no, no. Take action. Don't wait. I and mean, look at even our families. Don't wait for your wife to come to you and say, hey, there's problems. You take action. You make it better. It says in the body, if you problems in your business, don't wait for somebody else to bring it up. You do something about it. Reject passivity part of who we are. Third thing we find out about masculinity is that we are protective. And this is sometimes annoying to ladies, but also I think very good. Sometimes it's annoying to our children, but it's good. Right? Sometimes it's annoying to our employees, but it's good. We are protective out of our very nature. Look at what verse 23 and 24. 
It says, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. That's when God made Eve, and it was a beautiful thing. And we'll read the passage how she got made. But it was really cool. But the very first thing Adam says about her, this is, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, right? Like, what happens to her happens to me. I'm going to care for her. That's why you find young men, I don't care how what part of the world you live in and what age you live in, like little boys will make a sword out of anything or a gun. You ever notice that? And it's not that they're just violent by nature. Ask the little boy who he's fighting, the bad guys. That's who he's fighting. At his very core nature, young men want to defend. And we are privileged to have that as a, as, as, as a humanity. Aren't you glad that it's part of a man's desire to protect himself and his family and his wife and his society? To defend good against evil? Even to put himself on the line? To, to, to defend what is right? It's part of us. That's why when you have, like, uh, you, you see uh, the, the, the security cameras sometimes, they'll show, like, you watch on the internet, and there'll be, like, some, like, a couple walking through an alley because they're stupid, right? And then, Right, and they're walking through an alley, and then there's some bad guys who jump out, and they're like going to mug them. And it's never the lady who comes out, like, "Come on!" All right, no, it's never that way. It's always the guy that's like protects his gal, right? And he's gonna he's gonna beat down those bad guys. That's how it works. Why men are protective? It's in our DNA. You cannot remove it. When you tell a young man, "Hey, put away," you know, stop making swords and guns and things like that. You might as well be telling a fish to stop breathing water, right? You can't do it. It's not that he's wants to be violent. He wants to be protective. It's in us. And it's a good thing. And that's why men value bravery. One of the worst things you could be called as a man is to be a coward. What a badge of shame that is. I have a men value bravery. That's why you look at movies for men, like the real tough guy, right? Like Saving Private Ryan and a guy goes out and bravely like protects and lays down his life so some other family doesn't have to have sorrow, right? That speaks to us. And we care for courage at a very deep level. It speaks to us. And that's why I think in Christian men, we need to step up and be courageous. Act courageously. Our world is falling apart. There are people who live on the outside who do not know the love of Christ, who are, their souls are in peril even now. And at great risk, we're called to care for them and love them and reach them and serve them. There's courage that is needed. The world is not going to just have this epiphany and come to its knees and say, God, we need you. That's why God sent us out to them. The world needs courageous men. Courageous enough to care for their families when common sense would tell you, hey, run away because this is really hard. Courageous men who, who go and to serve their communities, right? When everything else seems to be, all the headwinds are coming against them saying, no, we're going to serve and we're going to do what is right. Courageous men to stand up against evil and to say, regardless of what happens, we will not back down. This is wrong and we will stand against it. Courageous men are needed. And not just a few but a kingdom full. And so the challenge, the call for men, act courageously. You have that bravery. You have that internal desire to protect. To protect what God says is valuable. 
to step up. Now, masculinity, this is the cause of it, but masculinity also has needs. Right? There are things, just like, just like this drill here needs 120 volts of AC, alternating current electricity to operate. Men have needs. There are things that if we do not have, we do not function correctly. And that's amazing. And the Word of God, all the amazing things that tell us how, what we need. And the first thing that a man needs to operate correctly is purpose. The very first thing that God did for Adam when he put him in the garden was gave him a job. Why? In a man's DNA, he needs purpose. He needs something to do. And oftentimes men just mean that this is a job. No, no, no. It's not just labor or work because we're more than just a cog in the machine. Right? But we need something to live for, something to do that speaks to our desire to have success, right? To, something to work towards. The fastest way to kill a man is to, get, to take away his purpose in life. The second thing that we need to have for men is we need lack dignity, we shut down. Right? If, we are, if we are told constantly that you are worthless, you're not good, or anything like that, if you disrespect a man, you give him authority, and then you don't listen to it, like you say, hey, where do you want to go out for, for dinner, or, you know, after church? And then they say, oh, I don't know, what do you want to do? And the man says, oh, let's go for tacos. And you're like, well, that's a stupid idea. He's never going to offer you another solution. Right? He's like, fine, and just tell me. You shut him down. Men need respect. If you want to build up a man, if you want to help a guy fulfill what he's supposed to do in life, don't tear him down. Build him up. That's why so many times in the Word of God it says, let's build each other up according to our needs. To be able to say, now this is what you are called to. Men without respect oftentimes do very disrespectful things. They fall apart. This is where toxic masculinity, I really think, comes from. But a man needs respect at a very deep level. And so the word of God, think about how many times God gives us such deep and abiding respect. Even we would call God's children, even though we didn't deserve it. He elevates us, says you're not just my children, you're sons of God. That You are my uh, ambassadors to the world. God's not ashamed of the men he created. He says step up and do these things. Men need respect. Third thing men need, we find in this, is we need partnership. Men know that we are not the only tool in the box. We get that, right? I've got this. I've got some really cool hammers and other things, right? I've got all kinds of stuff that I use together to make something work. And men recognize that, that we need partnership. The very first problem we found in perfection before sin was that the man was lonely. That was the that was the only problem in paradise. And so the God's been out to solve that. He says, all right, I've created all kinds of beings. Go and name them. Find, see if you can find a partner in there. That was his first major task. Men need partnership. It's at a very core of who we are. There's something deeply relational about men. That the, the man who thinks that he can just be the lone ranger out there on his own will eventually die out there all alone. And I think part of that is that, that need for valor. How can you be brave if there's not a something you're brave for? If there's nothing to go toward, then we fall apart. We need to have the sense that we're part of something. Men were made for this. And I want you to look at that list and see first how Christ meets every one of those profoundly for each man. Purpose. God says, oh, I have an idea. Why don't you all go out and save the world? right? 
That's a pretty good purpose. I mean, I've done the hard work. I did the heavy lifting. I made it possible. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, right? I'm going to give you some guidance and direction and all that kind of stuff. But I want you to go out there and fight against the armies of darkness. One of the greatest purposes of life is to be able to, to live for eternal things. God gives us that uniquely in Christ. Isn't that amazing? How about respect? You're my son. You're my child. You're my ambassador. Right? Who God says we are. He says, you know, I've given you authority, so use it in this world. God respects us. God, the King of kings, almighty, respects the men he's made. And look at the partnership. A friend closer than a brother, that's our Lord. He said, I'm partnering with you. The Holy Spirit's going to help me. It's going to be working with you in this great work. You're never alone, never abandoned. You've got my help. You've got the, right? And then also he's given us the church. Like in Christ, how God has met the masculine need most profoundly and eternally. That is pretty awesome. And as we start here, the men are masculine. And we have to begin there. But there's something else we also learn from this chapter, which is also good, that women are feminine. And just as there is a lack of masculinity in our culture, there's a deep lack of femininity in our culture, which is causing all kinds of problems. When we've told dental drills to act like whole hogs and say it's, this is not honorable to be like this. This is not powerful. If you want to be valuable, you need to be strong and powerful. You need to act like this. This is what society respects. We end up with all kinds of just nasty things in our culture. But in the Word, we see there is a power of femininity. Look at chapter 2, verse 18 in there. And it says, The Lord God says, Not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That's the very first thing we find it about women. The very first thing mentioned about women, other than they're in the image of God, in Scripture. And so the first thing we find out about women about femininity is this, that femininity is, at its very first part, relational. How a sense of solution, I shall make a woman. Relationship. At her core, a woman is relational, and that is fantastic because society, based upon just guys competing against one another, is not a great society. There's a glue that's necessary. There's a beauty that's necessary. I would believe this, that part of that is why women value cooperation so much. Think about it. Men's events. And when guys got together in high school and like the, in the middle school and the elementary school on the playground, what did we do? We played football and soccer and wrestled and all the competitive things. What did the ladies do? Oftentimes they sat around in circles and they lay on the swing set and then the monkey bars and they talked, right? And they helped each other on things and they figured out the world's problems, you know, in that age, right? The cooperation. Do we not need more cooperation in our culture? absolutely do we need more cooperation in our homes and our families absolutely we have rejected femininity as a culture which is crazy but we have said that that feminine characteristics are bad and i want to tell you from even from this pulpit and from the power of the word of god femininity is powerful it's part of god's image and it is necessary and important and we need it and one of the first things we find in that is this is relationship true relationship that women bring to our world and how they bring us together, the feminine heart and mind and spirit, is, is a, it, it's a bonder. It brings us in a way that, that is so necessary for our culture and our world to exist in a healthy and a good way. We need more femininity, really badly. 
And that's why I'm going to say for women, my challenge for you, just like I was for guys to say, you know, accept responsibility. If I'm asking women to do, I want you to accept vulnerability. Because relationship necessitates vulnerability, doesn't it? Ask any gal who's ever gone out with a guy who's like, just doesn't ever want to talk. Drives him nuts. He's not being vulnerable with me. Vulnerability is not weakness at all. It means you can be hurt, absolutely, but it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable, doesn't it? Ladies, you help show us the way so that we can be vulnerable. Christ was vulnerable, wasn't he? Would we say that he was weak? He laid down his life for us, loved us, and gave himself for us. Is that vulnerable? The Holy Spirit gives himself to live in your body. Is that vulnerability? There is a courage that I'm asking women to accept, and the scripture tells us many times over to accept this vulnerability, to be relational, to be able to bring that kindness and relationship into our world. We need it, especially into the church. Second, it is. It's one of the greatest things. In that passage, it says, I'm going to make a a helper suitable for him. Right? As a helper. Adam had a lot of things he didn't need a lot of help with. He could name the animals just fine. But he couldn't create a civilization without Eve. And that's not just biologically he couldn't. Think about a bunch of guys. Think about a dorm room. If you've ever been to college, like that guy's dorm room. The place is stinky. It's disorganized, right? There are a few guys that put things together, but uh, how most men decorate is by shoving all the stuff to the back wall. It's, it's all, you know, it's like Jenga. It just goes like, <laughs> like, he just puts it all there. It's all good and clean. That's what we think. There is something that the men lack. Like uh, when I go in like the, the boys' locker room, because I'm a football coach, it stinks. There's stuff everywhere. That, my locker room could use a woman's touch. I'm just saying that right now. It, that, like, there's, there's no paint really on the walls, all that. And, and we won't even think about how to make it decorated, right? But because I'm a football coach, we go to other schools, and we have to go to the girls' locker room in order to change. And there's like air fresheners, and there's like daisies painted on the walls, and the girls have these little things taped to their lockers, little inspirational quotes and all that kind of stuff, right? There's a difference. Femininity leads to a civilizing kind of culture. So I, when, when, when a couple guys get together, me and my son, we're having dinner or whatever, it, it might get a little crash sometimes, just so you don't make fart noises and things like this or burping or whatever. It happens. But when my wife shows up, it stops. Right? There's a civilizing that happens. We clean up our language when we're on ladies for a reason. Not because they are weak, but because they bring the strength of civilization with them. That is why. That's why we find that women throughout history have been the makers of family and of home, but also civilization that's built upon those two things. Where you find a strong and a healthy and a feminine woman, you find a home that is filled with grace and, and relationship and love and peace, not with crassness. So women value in this, we find that women value community. I find that, uh, that wherever women are, there tends to be community begins to grow, right? As, as I was doing youth group, it was always the boys would go out and just, it, it, they would play and they do all the games and all that kind of stuff. And you ask them afterwards, what'd you do? Uh, we played. What about Jimmy? I heard that, you know, he broke his arm. How's he doing? The, like, Kid be like the boy be like I don't know, <laughs> right? Or any of you ladies have ever had your husband go play golf with some guy, right? You're like, do you ever play golf? Yeah, we play golf. You know, how about Bob? I heard that you know he and his wife are getting separated. You talk about that? No, <laughs> we don't do that. We don't have we we connect, but we don't have community. 
If you ask ladies to go on lunch or whatever, they're going to talk about everything. There's going to be connections, right? Community. Women bring that. Does the body of Christ need more community? You ever come be part of a church and feel like you're not connected? We need more femininity. We need the value of what women bring to the body of Christ. And the world needs more connection, more civilization. Which is why this, I was asked on my challenge for women, just like I said to men, to reject passivity. My challenge, and I think the word challenge for women, is to reject vulgarity. Read Titus 2, ladies. Write that down in your notes. Titus 2. There's other places in the Word of God that also talks about this. But over and over again, women are the ones who are challenged to reject vulgarity. It's not that men aren't are supposed to be vulgar, but no, it's so important that a woman maintains her, her purity in this. That when a woman rejects vulgarity, right, says, no, there is a standard of society, the women get to set that. Not just in, you know, in society in general, but in the church. Then when we tell women to be tough and, and, and crass and stuff like that, just like men are, we are robbing ourselves of something of virtue. But women don't just set the standard for this, as, even as the church, but in your homes. To reject this vulgarity, don't partake in crass things. Elevate us. Men need to be elevated in this way, right? The society needs to be elevated in this way. Femininity has been given that power and uniquely that ability to do. Third thing we find about women is that they are nurturing by nature, part of the nature. But look at women as they, as they, uh, uh, little girls, right? Like little boys, we make sticks and, and swords out of everything. Little girls can make cakes out of anything, even dirt. All that kind of stuff, right? Nurturing, want to care for others constantly. They play house, right, with little dolls and things like this. How am I going to care for one another and all that? It's wonderful and beautiful, and we need more of it. Because we live in a selfish society, but at their core, I think women are very selfless. Even the part of how you bring a, a child into the world, how you're biologically designed to do that, how you care for and incubate life, but you do that in society as well. It says in the word that God was going to make a, a helper suitable. It's a powerful word, suitable. It's not just another man. It's not just something that another guy could do. It's something he needed desperately. And we see that women, they, they, they bring this nurturing character and, and spirit into the world. Femininity enhances about anything it touches if it's done right. All right? Look at our church. Do you think a guy did all of these wonderful decorations? But it's more than decor. I think about, I wrap presents to give to people. This is how I do it. I find a bag, and then I put the thing in the bag, and then I crinkle up paper and throw it in the bag. <laughs> Wrapped. Right? Amy can even take that and make it beautiful. She's like, I'll put a bow on that, maybe some flowers and some ribbon and things like this. And it's not that she's good at just decor is that she sees value in like even the little things, right? How something is said. My, think how women have brought a softness and a kindness to discussion, right? When, when you begin like a, a really a true, a feminine woman like my wife, how we'll be talking about things that I get enraged about, even like politics or something like this, and I'll be like, ah, right? And she brings about, no, but let's care for the person. You see how this affects other people. She enhances the conversation. How my wife makes my home a beautiful place to come to. Not just decorated nice, because she doesn't always feel good enough to decorate. 
but she makes it so it's a space of peace and of grace. My home is better because there's a woman and it has a woman's touch. Wherever women are, they, they make things better. It's just part of who they are. Even little girls, they'll go around putting stickers on things and making it pretty and nice and good. Part of the very core, the DNA. There's something beautiful and enhancing about women. We need more of that. Without femininity, and I think our society is very well devoid of femininity, we've taught our young ladies to act like young men to our own peril. But when we value femininity, we need more of, of, of this saying, no, you are valuable. What you bring is you make the world a better place. A kindness and a richness that, that women add to us. And in the body of Christ, we need to celebrate that and, and speak against what the world says is that's not valuable. Oh, no, no, no. It's very valuable, and it's a reflection of God's image, which is why the challenge for women is not just to reject vulgarity, but to, to act virtuously, to live in such a way that it calls society up, families up, the church up, to accept what is true and is right and what is good and is pure and what is lovely, and to act that way. You have the power to bring this world and to make it a more beautiful place uniquely. Gifted by God as part of His, uh, part of his image. And so, what are the needs then for femin- femininity? My drill needs, the first one needs electricity. This one needs air. About 20 pounds of high-pressure air. That's what it needs. If you don't have it, it doesn't work right. What do women need? What does femininity need to operate well? The first thing we find in femininity is companionship. Woman was never created outside of a relationship. Man was, right? But woman was created in relationship. The very first thing taken out of Adam's rib was made in a relationship. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. Shortest courtship in the history of the world. All right? I think women need companionship. If you want to make a woman miserable, make her alone. Make her feel like she's the outcast, she's ostracized, she's not needed, she just has nobody who's relying upon her, no one who cares for her. Women need companionship. And I think that's why we would challenge women to be helpful in this, right? God made a helpmate suitable, that women want to be part of something good. Not just a, a child to be cared for, but to be a partner in this incredible good work. To step up alongside and say, I'm with you on this and let's do this together. Women who have that are Feel the sense of purpose and joy, not just in the work, but in the companionship they have in the work. And so we need to make sure that we help our women find companionship, real, true relationship. Second thing we find in there is that we find that women need security. And that's not bad. That's a very good thing. How could you ask an artist to paint a most beautiful picture if the world around them was on fire, right? You'd be focused on not burning up. We cannot ask women to bring the beauty that they offer to the world if we're asking them to defend it. Women are called to to seek security, and we find that. There's a lot of articles now in the secular world about how uh, uh, modern women are having a hard time finding marriageable men. These are men who can offer them financial security above what they offer. Like millennial men make less money than millennial women. And so therefore, they're having a hard time finding mates. Why is it? Because women are greedy? No, they want financial security. It's part of their DNA. They want to be taken care of. They want to make sure that their home is safe, that there's not going to be a, a 
leak in the roof, right? That these problems are taken care of so that she has a place to actually make beautiful. Women need security, and I think that's a great thing, to feel safe. And that's why women are creators of society, community. Think about a community. It's a great thing. It's better than being on your own. If you have a toothache, you can actually go to a dentist because he's there. But if there's no community, you're stuck on your, on your own in some place in the middle of nowhere trying to do your own dental work. That's bad. That's not secure. Women cooperate, bring people together in a wonderful way to bring out the best in all of us. Part of that is that deep need for security. We cannot expect the women in our church or our society to operate in their best if, they, if we were putting them on the front lines, if we're asking them to keep us safe. In the church, women need to feel safe, secure, and who they are and what they're, what they're designed and created to be so that they can operate according to how God made them. last thing I think women we find in Scripture is, find is love. And love is not just an affection. Love is a decision, right? It's to, to choose another's good above their own. Women need to have people who treasure them. They do. I think this is why women spend so much time and money on beauty products. It's not because they just want to look good. It's because they want to be treasured. Women, ought, like, they, they really uh, they, uh, value beauty, right, because they beautify the world. But I think part of it is that they also want to be treasured themselves. I don't know the best... The best thing a husband can do for his wife is to treasure his wife. Treat her like she's valuable, right? Say, you are worth laying my life down for, and I would gladly make the trade because you are, I'm getting a bargain. And this is how I feel about my wife. And I think for a lot of Christian men, it's exactly how we're to feel, right? To, to love a woman, it elevates her. That's why it says in the Word of God that true beauty isn't on the outside stuff, but it's on this inside, right, where you have this... This, uh, this portion that just makes a woman so unbelievably attractive in this world. Her virtue and her kindness and her goodness. My wife has a little plaque up in our bedroom. It says, she talked to God every day and that's what made her beautiful. So true. Somebody's willing to lay their life down that they are worth it, that they're valuable. And if they're made in the image of God, and our God is a valuable God, I don't think this is a wrong or a bad thing. It's right. It's part for a, a woman needs that. If you want to make a woman bitter, angry, sad, despondent, give her everything that she wants in the entire world, but don't give her love. Now you'll find her fall apart. Now women need to be loved deeply. Now I want you ladies, I want you to see on the board how Christ fulfills each one of those things first and foremost for you. Companionship. Jesus didn't just die to be your master. It says in the word of God that he's our heavenly husband in a, in a kind of a cool way. That he, he abides with you. He knows your thoughts. He goes through life with you. He is your companion. Your helpmate in this way, this world and this life, he offers you deep companionship, closer than a brother. He's never going to leave you. Never going to forsake you. Companionship. How about security? Christ doesn't just offer you security for the next life. He saved your soul forever. You are kept safe and and secure in Christ. But also this, that he offers you security for today. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness above all else, and God will provide all of your needs. He sees you, and he's there to care for you. He is the husband to the widow. This is an amazing thing. That God meets our needs, and he cares for us. How about the love? Well, I don't know. I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life we live in the body, I now live by faith in the Son of God who 
loved me and gave himself for me, that God himself treasured you even above his own life. Think about that for a minute. How valuable are you? We've talked about some big things today, and I hope that you found some stuff that are helpful. I want to help you apply them now. The first thing for all of us, how do we apply these, this truth in our world? That is, I don't know why this is so controversial stuff, but it is so helpful. First thing I think we could do is accept my identity in Christ. Before I accept my identity and my gender, I have to accept the fact that I am God's child. If you are in Christ, you die to yourself and you're alive in Christ. There's a new life that you live and it's a whole different way to accept that, that I am who God says I am and good is what God says is good and we can really trust him because he's an amazing good God. Accept that first. If we can't start there, then nothing else will work. If you can't trust God, then you're going to continue to try to, to create your own identity. And that's what we see in the world. But in Christ, let us start with this. I died to myself. Let me accept my identity in Christ. I am his. I'm who he says I am, even when I don't feel like it. I'm still who he says, who he says I am. Let me accept my identity in him. Well, the next thing he wants us to do is to embrace my sexual identity. And I would say this, my God-given sexual identity. Enough of this crazy idea that the world has. They don't believe in God. So why would God give you a sexual identity? That makes no sense to them. But we who are in Christ know that God made this world as well as our spirit. Accept it. God made you. He designed you not on accident. Embrace it. Embrace who God says you are. If you are a man, embrace masculinity. Right? It, to, to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to, to accept responsibility. I'm going to reject passivity. I'm going to act courageously. Not if I feel like it, not if the world says I'm those things, but because I am a man, that's how I'm going to live. Embrace who God made us to be. Uh, for women, embrace your femininity. Right? Uh, who God says you are. Find your companionship, your security, your love in Christ. Right? But embrace this, who he made you to be. Third thing I think we can do as Christians in this is to honor God with my sexual identity. I could use this dental drill for really good, good things, or I could use it to cause all kinds of, of horrible pain. Use who God made you to be to do good things. Your design, use it in such a way that it brings beauty and health and life and goodness to this world. Honor God with who he made you to be. And I would say, therefore, like, for men, as we, as we work in this life, as we, as we find, reject that passivity, don't just do things, and as you act responsibly and, and courageous, don't just do stuff that's destructive. We've had enough destructive men. Honor God with your sexual identity. Follow the example of Christ, what it means to use your strength to lay down your strength for others and your leadership to serve others as a servant first. And for women, uh, to, to find your true identity in, in him, that your femininity, don't use it to, to, uh, to backstab or to be evil or to be mean. But to use your femininity to act virtuously and to, to bring community and to infuse love and life into the community of Christ in this world. And I think for all of us then, is we have to find our fulfillment first in Christ. As men and as women, we were made in his image, in masculine or feminine, right? But I think sometimes because of that, we recognize together we're best. We're going to talk about next week, marriage, and how God helps us to fulfill that, that identity call together. But I think as humans, sometimes we feel like I need, if I'm a man, I need a woman in order to feel fulfilled. Or if I'm a woman, that will ever truly fulfill you. We have to first find our fulfillment in Christ.
He is the one who gives us what we truly need at our very deepest level. And if you are not okay with how God made you in Christ, then I would say don't bring somebody else into that mess. Find fulfillment in Christ first. If you're looking for love, find it in Him first, not some broken way. If you're looking for respect, find it in Christ first, not in some you know, temporary token of success. Find your success in Christ. Find ourselves in Christ. And how do we do that? Well, first we die to ourselves. We find what God wants for us. We live the life He wants us to live. And we have that living relationship with Him. And that's part of what church is about, isn't it? As we help one another as we walk closer together in Christ. So today we talked a lot of big things, a lot of big things. I hope it was helpful. I really do. Uh, there's more to be said on this, and you can obviously read God's word on it, but today I want you to just take one next step. Something that you can do to begin to apply these truths to your life, helpful ones. So some things that you can do to do that. Maybe on the back side of your connection card, here's some next steps for you. The first one is maybe you memorize Galatians 2.20. The Christian life begins with the fact that I died to me. It's not my life anymore, it's God's. And so I'm living a new way, God's way, the way that he shows us in his word. And maybe that's where you need to begin. Have the courage to die to yourself is a hard thing to do, but also have the blessing of living a whole new kind of life. And I would say if you can compare the two, the way the world is right now, to the beauty and the design of God's ways, why would you choose anything other? But to begin with that, remind yourself of this truth, because the world's telling you a horrible lie that's all about you. So remind it. No, I died to myself. Can't be about me anymore. That guy's dead. Memorize that. Maybe what the next thing you want to do is you want to read Genesis 1 through 3. You want to see how we were designed and kind of the beginning of the purpose and then how things got messed up. That's Genesis 1 through 3. You can read that. That's a challenge for you. Or read Titus 2, men or women. That's a great, uh, read all of Titus. It's a short book. What is it? How are we supposed to live as, as Christians in this world? How about this one? Maybe you accept your identity in Christ. For you, maybe this is one of those areas where it's been a challenge. I'll tell you, the church is a safe place, a place you're going to find grace and love, but also going to find direction from God. He's going to help you. And for you, it's a decision saying, by faith, the life I live in the body, I will live by faith in the Son of God. I'm going to find my identity in Him. And if that's you, let me know. I'll be praying with you this week as you take that step. Or remind the next one is to honor God. Honor God with who He made you to be. If you're a man to to recognize that our world needs biblical masculinity, but biblical masculinity. To, to accept responsibility, reject passivity, to act courageously, right? This is the kind of man we need to say, I'm going to honor God with that. Or for, for women to say, you know, I'm going to honor God with my femininity, right? I, I'm going to accept this vulnerability that is so necessary, the delicateness of life. I'm going to, to reject this, this idea of vulgarity, and I'm going to accept virtue. To honor God with who you are. Maybe there's something else that you have to do. I encourage you to take that, make that commitment now. And in a second, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, please take these connection cards. Put in the offering basket live with your tithe and your gifts. Let me pray for these and for you as we, as we uh, complete this service. And that will be that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your design, for your purpose, that you made us in your image. Lord, I pray today that you help us to honor you with who you made us to be. That your word of God would be helpful and encouraging for us. Lord, and I know that our world is confused, but you lead us into confusion. Lord, help us to live out who you called us to be in a way that brings you honor and glory and, and also brings great joy to this congregation. Father, we pray for the commitments we've made today. Would you please uh, take those and bless them as we uh, fulfill these acts of faith? 
Would you change us from the inside out to be more and more like Christ? We also pray for our tithes and offerings, that you would use these gifts, multiply them, use them for the proclamation of the gospel, as well as the building of your kingdom for your glory. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.